Hi everyone, this is Ann Doherty, and on this very special episode of Current, I'm joined by my business partner and dear friend, Sarah Kanzinius. We are marking the seventh anniversary since the launch of Illum and reflecting on, uh, you know, our team's thoughts and all of the, the things that have happened in the seven years of building this company. Um, it's been exciting, it's been challenging, and it's been different, uh, to say the least, in trying to build and, and grow within um, a really challenging year 2020. Um, I would say that in many ways, Illum's experience in the past seven years has been marked by resilience and, and creating action in our industry. And I think that it's served us well uh, to meet 2020 head on. But it's also in this moment, forcing us to re-envision how we work and what it matters or rather what matters most in our work and and thinking about um, you know how Illum's vision really was centered around identifying what matters and building a company around that. So more than ever uh, we're excited to reflect in 2020 on the past and future of Illum which is something we asked our team to do as well and we were inspired to do this podcast in many ways in response to our team's um, uh, quotes and comments on a loom. So if you're on Instagram and checking out our Instagram page, you can see photos of our incredible team and their um, anniversary thoughts uh, all in one place. And I can say that I found it really humbling and inspiring to look at them. And I'm sure Sarah agrees. So please do check out that page. And um, thank you for joining us as we talk about uh, a loom on our seventh anniversary. Sarah, it's awesome to have you here today to talk to us about our seven years. We're seven years old. I know it's exciting and it's been really interesting to reflect back. It's hard to believe it's been seven years. It feels like seven months some days and other days it feels like at least a decade. <laughs> um, but it has been really uh, a good time to think back and, and look at what we've done and and really exciting to look across our team and watch them reflect on the past as well. Um, just because of this has become something that's more than us. And, you know, for a large number of our team members, they, they do have a, a past with us. And it's interesting also to hear what they have to say about the present and future as well. And um, I would say I was, I was really moved by the different, um, stories and feedback and thoughts our team share. And it, it did leave me feeling uh, optimistic, you know, despite what 2020 has been and everything it has thrown at us, um, that we as a team will continue to keep our sights set on, you know, ensuring the clean energy transition remains bold, equitable, and achievable. Yeah, that's so true. It's um, wild to think that in seven years, we have the team that we have. And as you said, that they have their own histories with us. You know, seven years feels like, in, in some ways, for as you said, forever ago. Um, but also, it feels like we just did it. You know, we just did this. We yeah. just launched. Even a couple of days ago, um, you, know, I, you know, I rarely get on Facebook any longer. But I saw a number of photos pop up as I went back of that first party we had when we kicked off yeah. in your parents' barn. And it got me thinking about those early years and um, 
just how different it feels now to have a company of our size, you know, with 32 employees. And when you think about those early days, you know, when we were huddled up in your parents' house, you thinking about what the future of a loom might look like, what this dream might look like, what stands out to you? I always reflect back to the feeling of that moment, which is funny because it's less about the thing, right? The thing we were creating and more about the feeling of the thing we were creating. And what really stands out to me was both how exciting and terrifying it felt all at once. And um, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but how much I loved that feeling <laughs> at that mm-hmm. time. It, it just felt so life-giving to be creating something um, that we knew we could do and that we would be proud of. And I think the other thing that stands out for me besides that, that sort of feeling of constant terror and excitement is um, that a lot of what we set out to do, we've really done. And to be able mm-hmm. to stay true to some of those core elements that were important to us then seven years later, I don't know, that feels impressive because I think we reached, we wanted to be big and bold and we didn't, we didn't try to temper ourselves. And I think a lot of people do. And we definitely didn't. And I think what stands out to me is that a lot of those big, bold dreams we had, we have been able to accomplish and sustain, which I think is um, really important when we think about culture and values and what we were looking for. A lot of times that's the first thing to go when it comes down to the brass tacks. And um, Mm -hmm. I feel proud that we've been able to sustain that. And that really stands out to me. So what, what about you? What stands out to you? Well, I think back on um, that time and I, as I was looking at the old photos again of that party, I, I agree. I think a lot of it was very much the feeling of it and what it meant to be in that moment. Uh, there's a photo of us hugging and I think we were both crying, you know, and probably. I remember, <laughs> probably, <laughs> and I right. think... I think it was this like um, incredible feeling of release and when I think about what we were doing at the time we were very much creating a company we needed for ourselves Uh, you know I was talking to a friend and explaining what we built and why we built it and she looked at me and she said you know you created the home that you needed for yourself you created the safe space that you needed to live your life and to live your life the way you wanted to and on your terms. And, you know, and that home is now other people's home right now too, you know, and it's gotten so much bigger. And I think that's true. I mean, you and I were both at the time in such really um, intense personal spaces in some ways, you know, we had this like big, bold vision for a loom, but we also had really modest goals like, hey, I want to see my family more. And, you know, I want the freedom to, you know, move if I have to, in my case, you know, and relocate and not have to worry about whether or not that's okay. And um, I feel like this thing, you know, Loom in some ways was also born out of really, really simple needs, like really, Mm -hmm. really basic needs. And then also our recognizing that other people needed that too. And so in a way, um, we were both pushing the industry 
and really uh, trying to move those conversations forward. And so many conversations around like equity and women in the workplace and thinking about um, how to put the customer at the center of um, every challenge. But we were also saying like, we need to put ourselves at the center of this project. We need to build this thing so that it works for us too. And I, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like, I'm, I feel really proud of ourselves because it, it feels like we took care of ourselves in that moment and we created something really cool. You know, um, as your gaze is kind of shifted, as we're looking at ourselves now at, at seven years old, like, what are you thinking about now? What's different for you? Yeah, it's funny because it, there's a way in which when you start out or when we started out, um, you know, there was like this intense hustle and that was sort of the focus all the time. It was how, how do we get this done? How do we build it? How do we feed ourselves and, you know, pay our bills? And um, it came really naturally because it, it was like survival mode. I don't know. I don't know what else to call it. Mm. Um you know, and that, that was the, that was the focus. That was the gaze out was just like hustle, hustle to get there and, and do it in a way that to your point, what you said, like created this home that worked for us, which is a big effort. I think people don't (laughs) until you're in it, you don't realize how much work it takes to sort of create and sustain a a vision that's really value driven. Um, So in terms of the, the gaze shifting, you know, in some ways, the the continuing to do the work to build that home that we all need feels in a lot of ways the same. It's bigger, right? There's more people that we're housing under this this roof and it it takes that effort. But in terms of the gaze shifting, now I feel like it's less about like hustle for daily survival <laughs> um, and more about figuring out how to channel that same level of hustle into sort of a sustainable and intentional growth for the company and thinking about how to ensure that a loom is um, exists for the sake of a loom and the whole team versus how does a loom exist for the sake of you and I, because when we started, obviously it was just you and I, so that, that gaze was about how do we do this for us? And then, you know, we're building, building. And today it feels like, how do we do this for a loom and the team that we have built? And so that there's, there's this long-term future for this company and these people. It's, it's it, the gaze has shifted beyond, I'd like maybe less self-centered, <laughs> but you know, I, I say that in a good way, like, because we've, that was always the goal, right? Like to, to have this team and to build a company. And so now that, that forward looking is like about, about this bigger thing, which is kind of lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It is really cool to think about building uh, an environment, right? A place for, for more people to contribute and, and to make demands of it, you know, and to make demands of a loom and to balance those demands with what it means to run a business and how you create and build a business. Right. It's, it's like it, it, you know, you use the analogy of home, but it is like, like at home where like everybody has to, everybody has to own their piece of the pie to make the home work. And it's, there's something fulfilling about 
being able to step out of pieces and know that someone else has that piece and they're going to make it whole and make it work for us. And, and that's kind of cool. So, you know, you brought up the analogy of home and one of the defining features of our culture is that our team would have freedom and flexibility, you know, to thrive. So, you know, they could, they could take care of their home and their family and the things they need there and build a career. Does that feel different now? And, you know, does it feel different given we are all always at home? (laughs) (laughs) Well, aside from the groundhog stay effect of being home all the time, you know, (laughs) I, you know, I've been reflecting on this a lot because the pandemic specifically has just brought so many things that Alum is trying to remedy into focus in this like very pointed way. And uh, the thing I think about uh, specifically is uh, women in the workforce and particularly parents um, and, and mothers, um, mm-hmm. because so much of the domestic labor in general falls to women and has. And now that parents are educating kids at home and um, you know, we as a company have a predominantly female workforce, who most of whom have young children, school-age children. It's been really interesting to figure out how we make it work. And it's not obviously, as you know, without its challenges, because um, we, we see and I think we feel those disparities as a company in some ways mm-hmm. as to um, who, ha- who is expected to do what and how um, within their families. So um, it feels in many ways to me like Alum's mission is more important. Um, I think the having conversations about how you create space for families, not just women in work, but for families in the workplace is more important. Um, You know, recently did a podcast where I was talking to someone and I talked about Alum as being a feminist company, but one of the things that I think is lost in discussions of feminism is that uh, what we're really centering are the needs of families when we talk about um, the needs of women. And, you know, if we lose sight of that, I think it can start to feel like, oh, we're just talking about these like uh, radical beliefs or (laughs) radical beliefs of equality, (laughs) for example, um, or equal treatment in the workforce. But what we're really saying is, you know, we have, we, we work to support and sustain the lives we want to lead. And it's important that we maintain that balance and that we create a way to focus um, work on that flexibility while also, as you know, um, tend to the challenges of running a time and materials consultancy where mm-hmm. availability matters. So um, striking that balance is, is challenging and also fulfilling you know, the work that we do to, to strike that balance is really important. Um, you know, this um, kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Liz Kelly's comment on uh, on our Instagram page. So for those of you who are looking at our, our team's um, responses, you know, reflecting on seven years, and she talked a bit about the acceptance of team members who are parents um, and that they don't have to put themselves aside um, when they work. And when you think about Sarah, you know, Alum's culture of being better prepared to be more resilient as everyone shelters in place. What do you think we've done 
in advance of the pandemic? Like, how did we set ourselves up to be able to manage through this in your mind? It's interesting. I've been asked this question several times in the last couple months uh, by others, you know, that we've been talking to and sharing our story with. And, you know, it was the, the common question I seem to get is, you know, how hard has this been or how have you been able to adapt? And um, my general answer has been, well, it, it, it wasn't that hard. I think we were well prepared as a team, to your point. And um, I think because, A, we've always, we started as a virtual company, right? Like, I, people are always surprised when I say, like, Ann and I have never lived in the same city. Um, you know, we started this company at a distance and, and we've built it, um, having to learn how to work apart, uh, together apart, I guess is the way to say it. And so I feel like we were really prepared for this moment in a way that a lot of other companies weren't. Um, You know, we had already invested, you know, everyone like was learning Zoom and we were six years into using Zoom. Everybody was getting comfortable being on camera with the Brady Bunch effect. And we've (laughs) been the Brady Bunch since 2014, you know, so I think there was a lot of it for us that that felt easy. Um, We were already as a team used to working with people who were in the different offices, who were on different time zones. And and so I do think it really, just that piece of being comfortable with that working people remotely, we had. um, And I think that helped us a lot. I think the other piece that mattered and made this a little easier for us was this really um, deep held, you know, notion that we didn't expect people to compartmentalize who they were when they were working, that we knew, you know, if you're a parent, you're a parent when you're working or when you're not, if you're, um, a dog parent or a a tortoise parent, you are (laughs) things when you are working or when you are not. And, you know, never, um, creating a place where people had to feel, you know, if there was that background noise of, a, of the dog barking or the, the kids in their, their pod singing during their break, that that was problematic for us. And I think that helped as well. We, we weren't, you know, people didn't feel like they had to at home hide. They were at home, mm-hmm. hide the, the noises of home and hide the reality of home. And I, I think that helped our team a lot as well, because I know, you know, for many people who I talked to who this was new for them, they were kind of struggling their way through it. And we were sort of like, yeah, we're used to cats walking in front of the camera. It's just part of what happens. I also think, though, our team knew how to, um, you know, when talking to clients, they already had, had sort of those those boundaries of like, let's this is how I know this is when the cat can walk in front of the camera. And this is when it can't, Um, you know, so our team kind of already had that experience, knew how to work in that environment. The only thing that I keep laughing at that is new is, you know, we would send out zoom links for the last four years for meetings and you never once had anyone other than the Illum folk on camera. And now everyone's so comfortable with it. So I think the hardest change is that you get on these calls with clients with partners and they're suddenly all on the camera too and then you're like shoot I should have you know done my hair (laughs) or something (laughs) but um you know if that's the worst problem that's not too bad so I, I think we we handled it well and you know it just meant um 
you know, it just means sort of reframing some things as we, as we move forward in terms of, you know, how do I, how do I engage with a client on zoom? And maybe I do have to do my hair, even though I'm working at home today. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that idea of, of reframing, I it did come up a lot in, in our team's comments, which was really cool to see that um, it felt like our team was looking at this moment as a chance to kind of ask what else, what's next, how else can we think about this? You know, we, you know, Aaron Allingham talked about grabbing the bull by the horns and Alison Mushoshi referred to 2021 as the year to correct what's not working, which I sort of loved. And I, I love the optimism in that, you know, um, we had staff who talked about doing more work at the intersection of health and energy and, you know, Pace um, commented that there's a lot of big problems to solve, but we can do that in a way that brings everyone along with us. And so I, you know, you framed your message for folks during the AESP virtual conference this year, you know, that was focused on remaining forward looking, especially when it comes to equity, you know, that reframing and looking forward. Do you sense that, that 2021 is the year that we finally shift a little bit in our industry, you know, um, that we correct what's not working in terms of energy efficiency programs, for example, being so uh, focused on the kilowatt hour and, you know, do you see what's happening now changing us for the better so that we start to look through more lenses when we're thinking about what are good programs, what should we be doing, where should dollars be invested? Yeah, it's a huge question. You know, I think like anybody in this, it's a big question. I feel like anybody in this moment goes between feeling really pessimistic to really optimistic. And it feels in a way a little bipolar, you know, like we keep shifting between those, those places. And, and in many ways, you, so much is coming forward in 2020 and really asking us to be bigger than ourselves and to think bigger than ourselves. And I, I do hope that that bleeds into the industry more. You know, um, as you know, um, Sarah, we can feel our team <laughs> in a way and their expectations of us. It's almost like a visceral thing. And so after uh, George Floyd was murdered, I remember, and I know you felt this too, that weekend, just thinking to myself, because I think it happened on a, a Thursday or Friday, mm -hmm. we have to do something, we have to do something. And I could just feel the the expectation of Oum's um, team weighing on us. And we issued our letter um, in response and committed to anti-racist actions and having conversations in the industry. And this was on the heels of having spent you know, six to seven weeks talking about the impacts of COVID-19 and reaching out to our clients and helping them understand how to adapt to this pandemic. Um, and so, you know, it's been an interesting experience to be the people in a way as homogenous as we are as a company, you know, that is in some ways the most diverse in our industry, at least mm -hmm. on the consulting side, um, to have all these expectations placed on us and then to have all of these um, different organizations looking to us to help bring those conversations into focus. Um, I find that both optimistic and I also find it sort of troubling that 
that a little loom, you know, of the, of all companies is is the one that's kind of bringing these conversations forward. Because what I want to see, and I know you want to see, is are these conversations being had more broadly, and um, and uh, while we're happy to be the conduit to those to this dialogue in the industry and to connect people to really um, thoughtful and compelling speakers and particularly people of color who work in our industry. But it's like, well, why can't, why don't people know people? <laughs> you know, why, <laughs> why are we, why, what is going on, you know? And so, um, like, why do they need us to connect them to people? And so, um, for me, that was really telling because I think it speaks to the challenge we have as an industry, which is to really um, diversify and create greater representation. And to do that, there's um, so many things we need to be thinking about, like um, building a pipeline of um, of a pipeline into our industry so that people are aware of the jobs that we have, that they understand these are options available to, to them, and um, really making sure that we refrain from practices of nepotism and just, you know, hiring folks that we know it, and it makes things harder, but it also is an imperative because we can't solve problems we can't see. And I think that, you know, when I think about 2020 and this like massive awakening that's happening, you know, a fish doesn't know the water that it swims in, right? Mm -hmm. It can't see the environment that it's accustomed to. But someone looking outside like of the fishbowl can see when the water's cloudy or that the fish has been, you know, breathing. Do fish breathe? I guess they do. Breathing dirty water. <laughs> you know, I mean, you understand what I'm saying. What I'm getting at is that in order for us to really tackle these massive challenges that we have, we really need a lot of perspectives. And we need them not just as folks um, coming in in like guest speaker roles to webinars, but as active participants in our industry and um, contributing to our companies, building companies of, of their own. And I think Alum started that from a, you know, woman-centric standpoint, right? We did, certainly mm -hmm. there were female-led companies before, um, but I don't know that there were any that had their mission so firmly centered in that way in terms of attempting to diversify the industry, but we have to expand beyond that. So um, that was a very long-winded way of saying, yeah, I think we can correct these wrongs, but I think in order for it to be at the center of the conversation, we need more people um, in these conversations that are directly impacted by the issues we need the industry to take on because mm -hmm. it's too easy to forget if you're not um, experiencing, I think, or directly impacted by some of these these challenges, or are, have bared witness to it, you know. Um, right. Yeah, I agree, and I think our industry has tended to. Why? Maybe that this is probably every industry, right? Like you view yourself as the expert, so you know what people need, um, and we we forget that we don't know what people need just because we are an expert in a thing. And um, I used to always tell, went way back, the first time I actually worked with a research project in, in my career, um, the person leading the project went around his house and unplugged everything to get a baseline energy usage and then was sort of freaking out because this meter we had didn't go to zero. And I had to say to him, normal people don't think about whether or not they can get their house to zero like we are not normal people <laughs> and I, it's so common 
in our industry for us to assume because we are people who use energy, we know what all people who use energy need. Um, you know, and it's, it's so important to, to be able to provide perspectives, you know, of others. And um, I think Amanda Moss in her comment hit the nail on the head when she said that client often turn to us to give them a new perspective by providing them with other perspectives of the world. And I'm seeing clients ask for that. I'm seeing clients understand and want to talk about it more, um, recognize that they, they have to uh, understand customers and customers' needs in a much more um, specific and detailed way mm-hmm. and recognizing that what we know isn't enough. Uh, to to really engage people. Um, also, yeah. you know, a lot more uh, discussion about how to engage different stakeholders and work within communities, understand uh, communities and the people you're talking to. But I think the other thing to me that has, has stood out is sort of the honesty of conversation coming out of some of the utilities in terms of yeah. what's been going on. I, I know we we extol Eric Arnold a lot, but you know, the, the webinar we had where we were talking about, um, you know, where he was really honest about the effects of redlining, you know, those are things we haven't heard typically uh, utility folk talking about in the context mm-hmm. of the work we do and why it matters. And, you know, those are the really interesting things that, that I'm hearing and it's mm-hmm. that does give you some optimism. It reminds you that there's a lot of work to do, but you know, it also also gives a lot of optimism. And you know, I think a lot of our work, um, you know, environmental justice and equity related work, or our work engaging with really diverse and sometimes large stakeholder groups and environments where you, you don't know what kind of feedback you're going to get, is is so helpful and. Those are the experiences that I think we all need to be leaning into with our clients. You know, you never hear some of the hard truths that we need to be grappling with as an interest industry if you won't or don't go out and, and talk to people. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. I, you know, that I think that's where the questions of inclusivity and um, creating spaces of um, psychological safety are also really important because you can't um, have hard conversations if you aren't creating space for them and we're not collectively flexing that muscle. And one of the things we often talk about, Sarah, is just this tendency, especially in professional services, to be painfully polite. You know, and in being painfully polite, nothing is being said, right? And and people are responding more to what is going unsaid than they are to um, what is what is actually being said. And creating dialogue and being very bold in creating open dialogue around topics that make people uncomfortable, I think is something that Illum has gotten very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud of us for that. And that's not to say that we can't learn and grow um, because we always need to learn and grow. But the reality is, is that very few people in our industry are willing to make space for those conversations or to put their brands on the line, to put their reputations on the line in order to have the conversations for fear of losing that client, rather than thinking about how, how might being bold in these conversations actually enrich the relationships we're having with our clients? How might that create more space for having conversations about redlining so that we can help 
you know, Georgia Power better serve customers who are impacted by those historical wrongs that are still having an effect today, you know, and, um, and that's where I I do in some ways feel really proud of us. And I think that is a, a real moment for optimism in our industry. It just, just that we're airing it out. It's, if anything, yeah. 2020 is airing it all out. You know? it, it is. It's airing yeah. it out and giving us a lot of uh, opportunity to practice, you know, practice yeah. these hard conversations. And, you know, I think that's the piece that's so funny is that I loved your, your like painfully polite. And I think professional services are painfully polite and people then get out of practice of having those hard conversations and um, are not doing either each other, your coworkers, the community you work in a service or your clients a service. And our, our team's feedback on that was, was pretty funny, pretty cool. You know, Lisa was talking about how open our team is to saying like, I don't understand this, I need help. And it made me think of the um, explain it like I'm five Slack channel that we have that I, now I wanna like pick it up. Um, you know, where we can post things we don't understand and have someone else on the team explain it to us like we're five years old so we, we can get it. And, you know, ways our team members talked about how they feel like they're in a space where they can debate and discuss methodologies and brainstorm ideas. You know, I think when uh, we assume we have all the answers, we get in trouble. And when we're painfully polite, we also get in trouble. We're not, we're not doing a service to our clients and the industry and the people who we are here to serve. Um, you know, so it, it's maybe that perpetual learning that helps us. And when you, when you think about that in the context of clients, you know, how does perpetual learning help us better serve people? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting to step back and think about that. We, you know, I think one thing that um, I would say about Aluma is that we try to approach our work with an incredible amount of humility. Um, and that's really antithetical to the perspective of consultancies, I think, in general, where you're meant to um, presume or d- demonstrate, display a certain level of um, dominance and expertise. And the reality is, is that gets old and that gets exhausting. Uh, and frankly, it, it is an, a disservice to clients when um, when consultants or others in our in our work overstate their abilities and overstate what they're capable of. And I think it makes it much more difficult to have rich conversations. Um, it also creates environments where you miss important pieces of information. You know, when you pursue research from a place of assuming you know the answer to everything, that every time you enter into a study, for example, that you you have a preconceived notion of what the end result is gonna be and you ultimately stop listening at that point. And so as we are learning, I think that as a company, we are growing and creating that safety within our team allows everyone to leverage um, the expertise of each other, right, to say, you know, uh, as one of our team members pointed out, you know, I'm not the expert in this, but please, you know, help me, you know, help me understand yeah. so that I can better serve my client. And that's what you want, because what you don't want is somebody at the helm, you know, um, pretending to know all the things and leading, um, uh, you know, leading our clients and in some ways our industry 
down the wrong path simply because they're performing expertise and it and um what I love about our team is we're very upfront about that. And I think that that builds trust. And that's not to say we don't have expertise at a loom. I mean, in no way are we, am I saying that we have incredible expertise. It's just that when you think about service, like the act of being a right. servant leader, the act of serving your client, doing so with humility is really at the center of that. And it's something that I feel really proud of us for. Yeah, what you're saying makes me uh, want to take a minute just to reflect on Rihanna Johnson's comment about honoring our clients' stories and giving voice to those who often don't have one. Our, our team has been able to do that, and we've been able to learn. Uh, to your point, we've been willing to go out and learn in our work as well as lead in our work and to use our expertise to help our clients, but to also use our expertise to expand all our knowledge and, and recognize that there's places where we have opportunity to learn and grow and tell other people's stories. And, you know, what a gift to have your, your career be telling the stories of people who, who are often unheard. And I think when we think about our work that way, you know, in the day to day, you get lost in it. But when you step back and remind yourself of that, when we think of our work in that way, we're, we're very fortunate to be in that position. Yeah. It's such a a privilege and a gift and one that we have to take very seriously, you know, um, whether you're telling stories through literal stories, you know, like ethnography or through data, you know, our, Mm -hmm our ability and um, a willingness to fairly represent those stories is so important and certainly something that our team takes very seriously. You know, I'm kind of on that note, um, I'm really honored that I'm on this journey with you. I like, you know, again, looking at the old photos, thinking that it's, gosh, it's been seven years and now we have this huge team that we have to give a big shout out to, uh, the Illum team that joined us on our journey and it's it's funny every now and then I think oh my gosh like they they got on board like we have a team (laughs) they joined the vision and that um is such an incredibly humbling thing I think in many ways and uh, really gratifying so huge shout out to the Illum team we're so if you're listening we're so grateful that you're with us and I know our our clients and and others are really glad you're with us too Um, Sarah, do you have any um, final parting thoughts before we jump off? Yeah, you know, I love that this is no longer about us. And (laughs) that's maybe the most fulfilling thing. And, you know, I too, um, you know, we say this all the time to each other, but I'm so, so grateful that that you're the person I ran into and that we figured this out. (laughs) I think we've been, been really lucky in terms of our partnership. But boy, you know, the, the fact that this is no longer about us, that we have this team and that Illum is about Illum and all the people that make it up is, is maybe the most gratifying thing when I think about where we are in this moment, that we are so fortunate that this company has become all these amazing people. Absolutely. 
Well, with that, um, this is Ann Doherty and, of course, with Sarah Kanzemius. Thank you for listening to this really special episode of Current. It's uh, a joy to be able to reflect and um, to have those of you listening reflect with us. Um, Current's produced by Loom's production team and music's by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks, Sarah, and happy anniversary. Yeah, happy anniversary. <laughs> we did it. We Another did year. It.